Hello and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast, developed by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. We are a group of fundraising professionals here to grow and learn with you, our listeners. Twice a month, our co-hosts are joined by a special guest to talk about all things related to being a stronger fundraiser and nonprofit leader. A huge thank you to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations, for making this show possible. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Here are your hosts. Hi, and welcome to a Legacy of Generosity podcast. I'm Christy Ackley, your host and a partner at Growth by Design, and I'm here with my guest, Ann Rodenberg, the Director of Major and Planned Giving at Wilder Foundation in St. Paul. Welcome, Ann. Hey, Christy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So Ann and I have been talking quite a bit lately about planned giving and events, and you know, we know that often people don't necessarily love doing events and don't see how they relate to planned giving and building relationships. And and there seems to be a disconnect. And as Anne was sharing with me about the way that they do events at Wilder, I thought she'd be perfect to bring on to the podcast today and talk about their approach um, and and how they tie events into that overall relationship building. So thanks, Anne, for agreeing to to do this. Sure. This is a great topic because it is all about relationship building. And anytime you have an opportunity to bring people together, ideally in person, um, there's that chance to build trust and rapport and relationships. And all of those things are very necessary for having that next level plan giving conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Anne, before we dive into the topic, do you want to just give the listeners a little bit of, of your background and a little bit more about you? Absolutely. Happy to. So I'm a director of major and plan giving at the Wilder Foundation in St. Paul. And a lot of people have heard the name Wilder, but don't necessarily know what we do. So just a very nutshell explanation. We offer services that are really place-based in St. Paul that offer families um, uh, the chance to secure uh, affordable, stable housing, uh, get uh, mental health and wellness, including substance use recovery services. We have an early childhood education program. We offer a great set of services for older adults and caregivers. And then, of course, we have Wilder Research, which is um, nationwide, really, in terms of providing uh, great social science research for nonprofits, um, both in Minnesota and throughout the country. Um, So prior to joining Wilder, uh, that was almost six years ago, I worked at Second Harvest Heartland as a major in planned gift officer. And that was my first um, real foray into fundraising work, because prior to that job, I had worked in communications and marketing for a little over 20 years at a wide variety of nonprofits in the Twin Cities. And my work um, in that role was very much about supporting the development and fundraising function. So it was all the publications and stories and events <laughs> and all of the, the platform, just the platform for those conversations to happen, for relationships to be built, for donors to be educated about the organization's work and why they would want to support it. So it was a really natural um, next step for me to move into fundraising because I really enjoy that relationship development piece of the work. Um, so that's that's a bit about my career background. Um, I live in Shoreview. Uh, my husband, we have twins who are juniors in high school, so we're busy thinking about college plans and wow. just uh, trying to trying to think about next steps for them. Yeah, I bet that's a busy household. It is. Yep. There's we've got some college visits coming up this spring and just waiting for things to kind of emerge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Great. 
Well, thanks for that background. Um, so do you think that your communications and marketing background is is part of why you look at events a little bit differently than maybe some other fund development people do? Um, you know, probably because I've I've had so many years of experience just in doing the bones of events and knowing what logistically needs to happen to make a comfortable space for people. Um, and I can take that that expertise and and pair it with, you know, things that have with theming an event. I think what's really important is to theme an event so that there there are spaces to share stories that are truly inspiring and and heart heart connecting mm -hmm. um, because that's really what matters to the donors. They they are there because they want to make a difference. And when when you're planning an event. Um, either as a fundraiser or as a communications person or whatever lens you bring to that. I mean, really, it's very important to to have the right content to share those stories that are inspiring and, and allow people to, to see themselves as being part of a positive change. Awesome. Awesome. Something that I have noticed a lot in the fundraising consulting that my company does is that the events are often like standalone. They're almost like this extra or this separate thing that nonprofits do. You know, they've got an event budget, event goals, and that's it. There's a goal around how many people are showing up or how many dollars are raising, but there's nothing that ties them then back to their overall fund development process, right? And it's not part of the stewardship. It's just, we put this event on and we're our goal is to raise 50 or $100,000, whatever that is, right? How do you actually take your events and make them part of the overall donor development process, not just your fundraising goals? Well, I love that question. And it's something that we've actually been pretty intentional about at Wilder. We have um, a variety of events that fall into the different categories of identification, qualification, you know, cultivation, stewardship, stewardship, um, all of those categories. And we sort of say upfront, is this intended to be a fundraising event? Are we going to have an ask at this event? And really, there's maybe only one event that we do throughout the year where there is an ask, and that's our Ordinary Magic Gala that we host um, in early May, May 2nd this year. But otherwise, I mean, we host a donor appreciation event, which is very strictly about stewardship. Um, we host um, little mini events throughout the year, maybe a couple of times a year. Um, we call them Knowledge Compassion Action Events. Um, and those are intended to be cultivation events. So we don't, we just say upfront, these, we're not making an ask at these. Um, and I think that that does fall into um, the, the annual cycle of how we're bringing people closer to the work, because, I mean, you can't be asking all the time. You have to, you have to have spaces for people to learn about your work and for people to just feel connected. Um, but yeah, that's a great question. And it, and it is, it takes a lot of the pressure off of event planning when you understand where they fit in the overall picture um, of, of the development plan. So I like that question and I like that framing of, of how to think about events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the way that you guys have got that, that you're really thinking about the overall donor cycle and saying mm -hmm. this falls into this part of the cycle, this event falls here, and that everybody is on the same page. And so there's no you know, different expectations across different leadership tiers, right? True. Yeah. And I'll share an example of what we have planned this spring. So I mentioned Ordinary Magic, which is our spring, our annual fundraising uh, event. That'll be on May 2nd this year. And then we're planning an event about six weeks later on June 13th, a morning event 
um, that we're just calling a Wilder Mixer. And we're in, it's gonna be a round table format, um, pretty informal where people um, can come and we're opening us up to volunteers as well as donors, but they can come and um, sit at a table with, with one of our program staff and we'll have five different tables representing five different areas of our work. And then they sit there for you know, 10, 15 minutes, they talk to other donors and volunteers and the program staff, and then they move to the next table to learn about another area of our work. And what it's intended to be is sort of a next step. So for people who are attending Ordinary Magic on May 2nd, and maybe they're new to, to Wilder, and obviously we can't tell them everything um, mm -hmm. in that hour long presentation. So then that's the next step as, as a cultivation you know, tool, like, hey, thanks so much for joining us for, for Ordinary Magic. We have this breakfast event coming up on June 13th. It's a chance to um, talk directly to our program staff and, and learn more about our work. Would you be interested in coming? And of course, there's no charge for that. We feed them you know, breakfast. Um, and it's it's kind of a no, no pressure kind of thing. But again, if people start showing up to more and more of these things, well, or you know, again, a, an event, and I'm finding it just, they're hooks, they're opportunities to talk mm -hmm. to somebody, right? I mean, you. I mean, you need some reason to reach out to somebody. And when there's an invitation to be made, that's a great opportunity to pick up the phone or send an email. Yeah, I love that. I I love that idea of having something six weeks later that's already planned mm -hmm. out. There's no, like you said, there's no cost to it. So they really do feel like this is just my opportunity to learn more about the organization. What a great uh, cultivation and education opportunity. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'll <laughs> have to circle back in June and yeah. Say we had a full house or we had nobody. I don't know. <laughs> so is this your first time doing that breakfast event then? Yeah, it is. We, we, I like to be creative in what we offer um, and just change it up a lot and just see what sticks. Nice. Nice. Have you seen any major changes in your events since COVID? Oh, great question. Um, well, so 2020, <laughs> Uh, the world shut down. And again, that was about six weeks before we were hosting Ordinary Magic. Um, and we decided to go forward with it as an um, online uh, virtual event. And we were kind of forerunners in that in, in just deciding to go ahead and go for it. And um, it was a great, it was great. We raised a lot of money. It was, you know, it was an opportunity to bring people together. Um, so that was, that was year one of, of the pandemic. We did it virtually also in 2021. Um, and then we came back in person, um, in 2022, we hosted it at, um, St. Paul college. So we wanted to bring it to a community venue. Um, and that, that was good. Um, and then last year and now this year, again, we've decided to host it at Wilder center directly in person. And I think it's been really great to, not have missed those years of cultivation um, mm -hmm. when people were really looking for things to grasp onto for events and things to do and ways to feel connected to people. So I feel like we didn't lose any ground um, in terms of the continuity of the event. Now, hosting it at Wilder Center has meant that we've had to decrease our guest count by quite a bit. So when we hosted it in 2019 at the Intercontinental Hotel in St. Paul, I mean, we could have close to 600 guests, that's where we were approaching. And now we're down to 232, but we're netting more than we ever have um, mm. because our rental costs are down, you know, or just the whole the whole cost of hosting the event is down. Um, now that's 
a total advantage of having a building where we can host an event. So I realize that a lot of nonprofits don't have their own space to do that. But I do think it follows the trend line that we're seeing larger gifts from fewer donors. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that people can expect um, in their own events that you don't need a room full of six, 700 people um, to have a great outcome from fundraising. You, you need the right people in the room with the right ask and the right stories. So that's, it's, it becomes very important to um, again, be intentional about who's in the room. What are we, what are we inspiring them with and how are we creating that space for, um, for that hurt to happen. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we were we were talking to some event experts uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying some of the trends that they've seen since COVID is that events are smaller, but through COVID, you kind of refined and got your, you know, more dedicated donors. So smaller, that's true. Mm -hmm. but people who are really dedicated and connected to you. And so they are making larger gifts. And it sounds like that's the trend that you're seeing as well. Definitely. Yeah, I, for sure. And it's, it's just neat to see that loyalty with the donor base because, you know, they, they've been with us through thick and thin. I mean, not with us, but through, with our families, with the families that we support. I mean, that's the bottom line is like, they have so many great choices of organizations to support. Um, but for them to continue to say yes to to Wilder or to any any one of our missions, I mean, is just a great gift. Yeah, well, great. So let's talk um, more specifically about the planned giving then, you know, and, and how mm -hmm. these events help you in your work as the director of major and planned gifts. Most people don't necessarily um, equate ad events to a legacy gift or, you know, a $200,000 planned gift. Mm -hmm. How do you tie those together? Yeah, this it's a great topic. And I, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning was, was the fact that anytime you have an opportunity to bring people together in person to build rapport and trust and that relationship, those are three really important ingredients to have that next step conversation around planned giving. So um, we've, we've had that happen with, um, with Ordinary Magic in the past, where because of who we're inviting and we're creating that space for those conversations to happen, people are feeling comfortable and it was it was great. So one story I'll share, this was from our event in 2022. Um, I was in the silent auction area and there was a donor, a very, very major donor um, in the room. And um, she, I said, hello, and we just a little bit of chit chat. And then she of her own accord said, Oh, Wilder's in our will. Like, oh, <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for for sharing that information. And and then of course I promptly went back to my boss, who's our VP of Advancement, and I said, Hey, guess what? She just told me, you know. And so then Michelle then has an opportunity to go back and after the event to say, Oh, you know, thank you for letting us know this. Let's dig into uh -huh. the details. Um, so that's just like kind of a an anomaly of like we're in the same physical space and sort of talking about something else and then, oh, by the way, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, and then another story that, you know, it's been a, a donor who was giving at lower levels to Wilder, but we knew they, um, he had, you know, quite a bit more capacity and we had invited him and his wife to, to the, to the event. Um, and they came, well, he came without his wife for the first, the first one again in 2022. 
And then he came and brought his wife in 23. And when we found out that they were coming, we strategically seated them at the table of our um, executive director of Wilder Research so that, you know, I knew she'd be a good host for them. I knew that they would be interested in what, in the work that Wilder Research does. I, of course, seated myself at the table so that I could help, you know, <laughs> right. facilitate the conversation and and make sure that the things were, you know, tied up at the end and, and next steps were were happening. And uh, and then it was after Ordinary Magic. So last May, they came and we had a great time. And then I invited them back for a meeting in July where they made um, a $100,000 three-year commitment. Um, not a planned gift, but a major gift um, mm -hmm. over three years. And then of course, then that step again, gave me another entry entrance, entrance <laughs> to, um, to inviting them back for another conversation about creating a named endowment here at Wilder. So, you know, it's gradual. So I'm, I shared two stories, one that was just sort of like quick and one that is using events over multiple years to continue cultivating a relationship where, you know, that there's more potential. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and what I like too, about your guys's events that you, that you have made them smaller is then the staff to guest ratio is better, right? Mm -hmm. So that you can have yes. and be in physical proximity to your donors. Exactly. Yes. And create that space then for them to share those kind of things with you. Um, the other thing I think is really great about events is that often donors are really tied to one part of our mission when we have multiple facets, right? And right or they're going to give a legacy type gift, you usually need them to have a little bit more trust in the whole organization and all of the work that you do for them to make a gift that is beyond their control because they're gone. Right. I mean, obviously right. the donors right. can put stuff in their will with some direction, right? But our goal is that they just leave a gift to the organization without too many strings. And so right. events give you that opportunity to educate them about all the other great work and the impact it's having, even if it's not the thing that they're the most tied to. Would well, I mean, that? oh yeah. I mean, the word trust is, is right there at the center of everything you just said, because mm -hmm. I was at a seminar yesterday with the Minnesota Gift Planning Association and talking with um, three attorneys who were presenting about conversations around how to, how to cultivate planned gifts. And they, you know, they've seen it where an organization, a donor will make a decision to change charities because of something that happened to break their trust. And so that that is just paramount. I mean, so again, any, and, and people give to people, right? I mean, so if, if I am, if I am a trustworthy representative of Wilder and I'm doing my follow-up and my, you know, all of the relationship management that makes that donor feel heard and appreciated and well-stewarded and, you know, all of those things that we want them to feel, then I, as a representative of my organization, am, am that person. I am that organization to them. Um, and it it that goes for all of our staff. Everyone's an ambassador. And so if you have a crummy experience with somebody, a Wilder staff person at one of our events, and you were thinking about including us in your will, you know, and now this person cut in front of you at the buffet line, and what, what was the, I don't know. I'm just, that's one example. But Really, right. it's it's all of our jobs to create create trust uh, mm -hmm. with our donors. Yeah, for sure. So, if you were in a smaller organization and you had to create your very first event ever, what advice would you give to yourself as to 
what type of event you should start with, how many people, you know, any of any kind of, I mean, obviously I understand that it's different depending on what the mission of the organization is to some degree, but what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about their first event and especially well, in making it a cultivation type? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would start with, with a, with a thank you, with a stewardship event. I would start mm -hmm. with um, hosting something that brings your donors together Um you know, people who have been supporters for a long time or a short time, and they've been giving, you know, a significant gift, whatever significant means for your organization, um, and just invite them into the space together to hear some updates about the organization, hear some inspiring stories of impact, and just start to start to build those relationships in person with, with a thank you. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It, you know, you can host it, you know, bring in coffee and bagels and fruit. And I mean, you don't have to spend a lot of money on a venue and anything else. I mean, it just, it is, in fact, it's probably better if you don't. <laughs> you know, the Lilly School of Philanthropy, and I can't remember who they do this in partnership with, but they do a survey every other year of major and um, like planned gift donors about how they feel about organizations and all these different topics. And one of the things that I've noticed every time I see that report is one of the things that donors complain the most about that they see, they say they feel like nonprofits don't do well is communicating how their money is spent. Oh, interesting. Yes. And so yeah. I love that you're saying that if there was only one event that you could do, start with a stewardship event, start with telling Absolutely. them the impact um, yes. because that's what they want. And the, and the, Often the survey, you know, asks a question, something about um, giving trends, you know, like if they don't know where their money goes, do they give less in following years? And the answer is, of course, yes, because of course you're going to give less if right. you don't know what is happening. So I love that yeah. advice. Yeah, I had a, I have a friend who was making a gift to our mutual former university and the the, the foundation would call him and ask for the gift. And, you know, every year he would say, well, when you can tell me what this is accomplishing, I will give again. And they're like, oh, okay, well, thanks. And it was, you know, a student caller and they're not really necessarily equipped to, to give that impact story, but they should be. Right. <laughs> because again, everyone who is working in the name of the organization is an, is an advocate and an ambassador and should be mm -hmm. equipped to share, you know, the impact story. So I just, I feel like that's a learning opportunity. And, you know, he keeps taking the call and he keeps saying, well, tell me the impact and I'll give again. Yeah, that's great. Is there any other advice that you would give to people when it comes to events and, and how to use those as cultivation and stewardship for your, your major and planned giving donors? Yeah. Well, I mean, events can quickly take on a life of their own. I mean, they are, you know, there are just a lot of details and moving parts with an event. So I would say, you know, definitely um, have a core team of people who you're working with because it can just quickly get overwhelming and, and make sure that everybody knows what their responsibilities are. We have a project planning software that we use called Asana, which is a really nice way to get, you know, tasks written down and who's responsible for what and by when. And it just takes the, the pain out of like mm -hmm. the, just the planning process. Um, so I would recommend having some sort of planning, you know, a, a core team who's involved in the planning, a way to track 
projects. Um, and then, you know, thirdly, the intentionality around who do we want to be working on cultivating? So it doesn't necessarily have to be your major donors. It could, you could, you could do multiple events. Like you could say, we want to do something special around our monthly donors, or we want to do something special for people who have given for the first time in the last two years, or we want to do something special for people who have increased their giving over the last two years, or maybe we want to do something special for our lapsed donors, right? right. Um, so, I mean, you can really slice slice the pie a number of different ways, depending on where you want to put the energy and effort. Uh, I love that advice, especially um, thinking about some of those smaller donors, like maybe the monthly donors who are giving a smaller amount, but which adds up and over time adds up. And we know that those regular monthly donors, no matter what the size of their gift is, that they are much more likely to be a legacy. Exactly. And, um, and I think we do often forget to do events just for them. We focus our events on the major gifts and the planned gifts and the legacy gifts and forget that those core donors are really what help keep us operational are what's going to be our future. Right. Yeah. I just, um, I've given myself an idea here, so <laughs> maybe <laughs> we'll try that. We've, we've not done that yet, but it would certainly be worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely think that when you think about the overall moves management process, right. You do do it by your different types of donors and having events be part of your moves management process makes a lot of sense. So for sure, definitely an ingredient. And like I said, when you can bring people together in person or, you know, when, when you can't bring them in person, a hybrid or virtual option works just as well. Any sort of opportunity just to advance a conversation. Yeah. I want to circle back to our conversation about the stewardship event for a second. You know, there's some different uh, views on a stewardship event as to whether you should allow those donors that you're trying to steward bring guests or not. How do you Mm. handle that in your organization? Do you invite them to bring a guest or do you keep it just to the people who are our current donors? Hmm. Um, We currently invite the donor and their partner or spouse, you know, if they have one, but we haven't extended the invitation beyond that. Um, But that's a great idea. I think, um, especially for a stewardship or cultivation event, yeah, why not? I mean, it's it's definitely allows people to um, to just kind of share their love and appreciation for the organization. Um, I know that I was, I think I as a donor of an of an organization, I think I was invited to bring an event a guest to an event. And I didn't, but it was a nice option to say, oh, I could I could invite so and so who I think would be interested in this work. Great. So yeah, it's I think. It again depends on your your budget and how many people do you think would actually bring a guest and do you have space for for extra people and and will you be providing a program that would be appealing to somebody who who doesn't know anything about your organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Great. Well, anything else that you want to share about events before we ask our final question? Sure. Um, yeah, I just I, events can come in any size, shape, form. I mean, we've we've learned so much with the pandemic that it does work to do them virtually. Um, I think people, you know, I, a colleague of mine says that fundraising is all about inviting, inviting people in, inviting people to make a gift, inviting people for a conversation, inviting 
you know, to, to engage with your organization. And of course, an event is very much an invitation. And I think people just appreciate, even if they can't come, I think it's just nice to, to know that they're welcome. And it is, again, like I said earlier, a, a good call to action. And it's a touch point. It's an opportunity to pick up the phone or send an email and say, hey, will you join us for, for this? So I think it's always nice to have something just on the calendar um, to, to have as a next step uh, coming up for people. Great. Great. Well, that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So I, I mentioned this as we kind of got on this call today, but we like to ask one last question to all of our guests. And it is just, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? And like I said earlier, it does not have to be fundraising related. It could be life related. It could be whatever, you know, it could be don't eat yellow yeah. snow, you know, <laughs> whatever that looks <laughs> that's like. That's always great advice. Absolutely. Um, I would say, I mean, I've gotten a lot of great advice over the years, from mentors and friends and colleagues, but something that sticks with me is, you know, we have two ears and one mouth and mm -hmm. listening is just one of the greatest gifts that you can give to somebody because you're, you're fully present with them. You're, you're focused and you're, you're, you're not just hearing, but you're listening. So be a good listener. That is great and perfect for our listeners too. Look, she's telling oh, you right. Yes. right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I hope, I hope this was helpful. Yeah. to people. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, and we really appreciate all of your advice. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining the show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you found this episode to be valuable, please share it with a colleague or a friend. We know the best way to grow our reach is through your referrals. Your opinion really does matter. You can also find us on Instagram at A Legacy of Generosity Podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn under Leave a Legacy Minnesota. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. And until next time.